Hello, and welcome to First Floor Corner Store. I'm Maggie Krause, and it's been a while since I last posted an update here. As many of you know, life gets in the way, but I finally unearthed a few interviews that I cannot wait to share with you. I'm thrilled to be bringing this episode to all of you for a couple of reasons. Not only is Neela Wickramasinghe a fellow alum of my alma mater, Smith College, but she's also a longtime friend. Perhaps more importantly, or at least more relevant to this podcast, she's been doing incredible work as the manager of restoration and preservation at Greenwood Cemetery, a national historic landmark in Brooklyn, New York. What began as one of the earliest rural cemeteries in the country is now a thriving green space in the heart of one of the world's largest urban landscapes. Its collection of 19th and 20th century statuary and mausoleums spans nearly 500 acres. And in recent decades, Greenwood has been putting time and energy into figuring out how to advance public knowledge and engagement within the cemetery while preserving its architectural, ecological, and cultural heritage. After completing a degree in architecture and urbanism at Smith, Neela received an MS in historic preservation from Columbia University. She's worked as a conservation foreman and technician and has a seemingly boundless passion for protecting, enriching, and reimagining the dynamic landscape of Greenwood Cemetery. We met at Greenwood over the summer for this interview, and although it's a tranquil and uncharacteristically quiet urban landscape, there is a little bit of wind, which I'm sure you'll hear during the interview. So we're sitting in Greenwood Cemetery. We are. We're almost dead center. Wow. And this is almost 500 acres. Oh, that was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even mean to, but it happened. My death puns are just. I bet you have a lot of them at this point. I do, yeah. Yeah. So, but from from the air, we're about in the middle of it? Yes. And we're in the middle of almost 500 acres? Yeah, so we're 478 acres, um, about 50 acres less than Prospect Park, um, and we were established in 1838. And that's a long time at this point. A long point. time ago, yeah. We've already celebrated our 175th anniversary. Um, and I think more and more everything we do, we try to have a long scope of history behind any decisions that we make. Yeah. So and you are you welcoming people in for celebrations like that? Are you trying to make people aware of the fact that you've been around? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, every time we engage with the public, we have a, a full calendar. Um, we just try to get as many people as we can in here to experience this as a really as a really great green space and resource. Yeah. And we were talking earlier, so you are in restoration and preservation. Mm-hmm. I'm the manager of restoration and preservation, um, and it's the first time that that position's ever existed here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So has it been a learning, it's been a learning curve for you and... Yeah, it's the first time that Greenwood's had a conservator work here. They've definitely done restoration in the past, um, and it was done well, um, but I think this is a little bit more of a full department and dedicated staff um, Mm -hmm. just to restoration and preservation. Right. That's interesting to me because this is on the National Register of Historic Places and has been for a while. Yes, for a little while, yeah. Yeah. So what do you know what went into their decision to hire you on board for this? Yeah, I think with anything, it's a professionalization of something that's been done, air quotes, unprofessionally for a while. And I think having someone who's trained in preservation, um, in the tenets of conservation, and has an idea of what's happening in the wider world, um, what other institutions, what other architects and conservators are doing, um, we have to sort of be in line with that so we can think of ourselves as a cultural institution. Yeah. If we were a museum, we wouldn't have 
um, enthusiastic volunteers working on our paintings, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we want to almost look at each, at our site as a as an outdoor sculpture garden, sort of. Yeah. Which you know we talked we did a tour just earlier and we talked a lot about how many different layers there are to this place and how on one hand you're dealing with the public and Greenwood has made a really intentional choice to try to welcome the community into this space but there's also the families who own plots here correct there's people who are using this landscape as an opportunity to grieve and reflect but there's also people who just want to spend time in honestly what feels like I mean it's it's crazy to think from here we, we can't see any any um, semblance of New York City no which not I at all. also love because it's it's a really it's a green it's an explosion of green space um, and you can get lost in it right I mean, I, I took the subway here, and I, it's, it's really kind of jarring to be kind of catapulted into this, given how close we are yeah. to... Yeah, I and mean, also, we can't see any people either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. And we have, like, a pretty good vantage point. Yeah, and we're... So we're definitely... Um, there's a lot of layers at play here in this landscape. I like to think of, specifically, the cemetery as almost the most perfect definition of a cultural landscape. Um, it's like a palimpsest of layers of, and you can, you know, there are people who know people who are buried here, people who know famous people are buried here, people who are neighbors, people who saw a movie that was shot here once or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, we have a lot of connections to the personal side of things. Um, and we're also trying to increase that. So it's really so many different kinds of people have a connection here. Um, and it can only become more diverse, we hope. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder about cemeteries as cultural landscapes and cemeteries as cult cultural institutions in this country. I mean, I don't often think to spend time in a cemetery for a couple reasons, but I wonder what the process is like to, to make this space appealing to a wide variety of people. And without, like I said, kind of without sacrificing the integrity of each Right, so we, we also, you know, I think for a little while they sort of were shying away from the word cemetery, but I think now more and more we've, um, we've hooked up with um, different institutions in Brooklyn. We hooked up with um, Amy Cunningham. She's a, a, the, one of the very few female funeral directors um, in New York. Interesting. And um, we try to host these things called death cafes, which death cafes uh, yeah which allow people to come in and just ask questions and I went to one just to see what it was and it's mostly young people because the business of death and the business of dying is something that's very adult you know we sort of talk about like adulting the definition of adulting is having to deal with these end-of-life decisions right um and there's a lot of mis mystery about it and I think even myself like growing up here there's a lot of rules that people follow when you know this is when the wake is this is when this is it, it seems sort of arbitrary but it's almost like planning a wedding like mm -hmm. there are rules um but the more and more that we engage with young younger people uh, people who want to do something a little less traditional or just try to figure things out on their own i think that's the the best way to go forward um and we're also you know we spoke earlier about you know letting the public know about our uh, our wildlife and our, our tree collection and mm -hmm. um, inviting them in. You know, we have avid birders. I think are the birders that come here are our most like valiant visitor. They will like, <laughs> call us and be like, you don't don't move that branch or and, like there's this is what's happening. Oh, wow. So 
they're very they love this place yeah yeah and I it's very easy for someone like me and someone like you to kind of geek out in a landscape like this because there's you know thinking about horticulture and thinking of the landscape as an arboretum and then there's the monuments and just the history and everything I mean do you find people stumbling upon this landscape by accident yes you all do. the time okay we we ended up in a lot of like lists about where people should visit if they're in New York mm -hmm. and so um we get a lot of foreign visitors, which are great. They just like, oh, is this great? Or we get a lot of um, people who are visiting Brooklyn, and it's worn on a sort of Brooklyn list. Mm -hmm. um, we try to also hook up with Brooklyn Historical Society. Um, they're our partner in a lot of things, um, with tours and stuff. Um, so it's like more and more we get a, a more diverse uh, tour groups and things like that. We would have, you know, lots of senior citizens, mm -hmm. um, lots of you know, older folks that want to talk about Civil War history, which is great, but I think more and more we need to think about engaging our neighbors, um, our neighborhood, and a little less um, about sort of dead white guys who are also here. Um, right. We're right smack in the middle of one of the largest Hispanic communities um, in New York City, and none of our signs are in Spanish. Mm, yeah. So we're in the middle of Greenwood Heights? Is that... We're in the... Uh, so when you got off the train at 4th Avenue, that's Sunset Park. Okay. So that's a um, very big Puerto Rican community, big Dominican community. And then um, a little... I'll call it 10 blocks lower than that is a large Asian community. Mm -hmm. So we should... You know, we always talk about, you know, things that we're working on. We're working on a cultural landscape report. Um, we need to have our signs in Spanish, Mandarin, and English, you know, yeah. and, and we know that, and we're trying to, like, move towards that. Right, and what, I mean, a place like Greenwood, what goes into that actually happening? Do you have to get a grant, or do you have to get support from the city, or, I mean, that's... We try like to be self-sufficient. I mean, we we get a lot of grants for where our development office works really hard to get, um, we got an MLA grant, um, we got a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts to digitize a lot of our records. Oh, wow. um, there's a whole other side of this place, which is the, the records and the, the medical information that's attached to death records. Oh, wow. You know, we're getting a, a grant from the NEA to digitize our chronology books, which is a list of people as they are interred here. So it also includes how people died. So you can see Whoa. how disease and illness and different words for abortion, all that kind of stuff gets put in these books. Oh, my gosh. Um, strange things, you know, died of old age, homegirl's 48, and like, what's, what is that? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean? Um, so there's a lot of life here, you know, we're working on a, a our, all of our, our nature stuff, we have this tag, you know, Greenwood Alive, which can sound a little like zombies, but we want right. to make it sound a little <laughs> less like zombies and a little more like horticulture, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, it's, a place like this, like I said, I, I think the, the idea of cemeteries and graveyards for some reason it just strikes me as this very antiquated american tradition and i know and it are, is yeah, yeah and you have mount auburn outside of boston and you have yep. all these places that have this kind of energy to them that really dictates how people spend time here and how people um think about them and and interact with them and i wonder it's just really interesting to to think about all the ways that you could broaden people's understanding of what can happen here and yes. especially when you think about the history of it kind of being secluded and like a, a retreat from city life and also that it was financially out of the question for most people who like were, were 
maybe living in this neighborhood or living in the city, I mean, you have to spend so much money to yeah. end up here. Right. And, you know, during the ebb and flow of finances or New York, you know, all kinds of people, you know, we have regular people who are buried here every day, you know? Um, and that's the thing. It's like this, I think, to me, it was like the, it's the level playing field, right? Everyone, everyone ends up in the ground, no matter how big your monument is, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and to be included in this kind of place for a lot of people, it was like making the decision that they knew that Greenwood would be here. Right. A lot of small churchyards or historically places where African Americans were buried, they they did not last. They, you know, they got sold over to whomever and mm. didn't last for 50 years. You know, but right. this this will always be this place. Yeah, which in the middle of Brooklyn is wonderful to think about, and that gives me a great deal of strength and knowledge in that because it's like there will never be this place will never be leveled and it will never be a place of development right. it will be a place of remembrance and and largely a green space mm-hmm. and that's remarkable in that development is happening so rapidly all over the place it's kind of amazing to to really wrap your head around the fact that this will not be condos in 20 years. And, like, it legally can't. Like, no one can. Like, um, so that feels good. Yeah, that feels very good. And you are from New York. You were born and raised here. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like, I didn't really know about this place growing up. Um, I did go on a tour, um, I think, a year before I accepted this job. I took my mom here for Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, moms like tours. They like events. They have everything. (laughs) Like, moms have everything. Um, I was like, what could I do? But a friend of mine was, another preservationist, was running a sort of, like, behind-the-scenes tour. Um, So I was like, yeah, this place is, I've always heard about it. It's great. Take my mom. Um, And then I remember asking, the president actually was entertaining our group, and I I remember I asked him, like, flat out, I was like, "Um, do you have a conservator on site here? He was like, no. And I was like, can't believe that mm-hmm. um and the next year I applied for the job wow yeah yeah and I mean how does this relate or compare to other work that you've done so I came from a construction background um out of grad school which I didn't know I was going to do um I did a lot of stuff as a, like an architectural historian and did research um and then I moved into the hands-on part of work and preservation work and conservation work um this is similar because we're actually we're physically doing the work, um, which is the same. The material is different. I had I didn't have any experience working in stone, um, but that part I figured out. Um, and I, I definitely leaned on the guys who've been working here longer, definitely longer than me. Mm-hmm. We learned from each other. So yeah. And when you think about the neighborhood, do you have any sense of how many people are coming and how many people are using the space for different reasons? We're trying really hard to get a handle on our metrics and figure out who from where are visiting us. We have a couple thousand people visit us every weekend. Oh, wow. Um, and that goes up and down with the weather, of course. And um, we are, some of our most successful events are upwards of, you know, can get to a couple thousand. Because mm-hmm. also within almost 500 acres, you can disperse people pretty thoroughly without mm-hmm. having this sense of being like sort of standing in the Central Park band shell, like right. shoulder to shoulder yeah. with someone. <laughs> um, you know, we have concerts and stuff like that. So I think we're working hard to figure out how do we understand who's using our green space mm-hmm. and, and why. Is yeah. it because they're always, you know, visiting someone on the weekends or because this is a way to get from 
Fourth Avenue to Fifth Avenue quicker, mm -hmm. or is it a way that you um, you learned how to drive? <laughs> a lot of people come here to learn how to drive, which I don't suggest anymore right. because you could hit something. Yeah. But it's pretty safe. Often people ask me like, "Can I park anywhere?" And I say, "Yeah, you can park anywhere." Um, so that is also something that we right. lend ourselves to. Yeah. And as we're talking, I mean, there's there's cars driving mm -hmm. to and fro, one of which is the security patrol. I mean, what's that dynamic? It's a public landscape, but it's patrolled it's, and Yeah, it's, it's private, and we are open to the public, but okay. we are private. So it's the idea that security is here, which is good because, you know, they take a click of who comes in and who comes out, make mm -hmm. sure that if, if someone's lost, which people get lost all the time, I bet, yeah. um, they can call them and they'll have to come and get them. Um, right if they get locked in after hours, which happens sometimes, oh my gosh. Um, people can get lost. Um, but I think it's also, it's a lot of education within all of our staff um, that they're the first people that they sometimes the public meets mm -hmm. and they have to be sort of on board as everyone else. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, these people don't belong here. And that's not what we want. We want people to say, everyone belongs here for the right reasons. You know, mm -hmm. you, this might not be the, the best place to throw a frisbee but it is a really great place to have a, like a wonderful walk in the shade right um that's a great place to walk around with kids i love when people have kids here yeah that's kind of it seems like a funny contrast mm -hmm. of people and users and why the space is here and i mean i don't know we're we're relatively close to prospect park very close and even when you think about kind of big open spaces in New York that really define the New York landscape, how do you interact or do you interact with... We do. We were actually were hosting the Prospect Park Alliance in a couple of weeks. Come, they're coming and sort of saying hi to us. We, we try to lean on other institutions, especially in Brooklyn, where that have better experience in certain things. So we lean on Brooklyn Historic Society when we have a question about historical interpretation, and we lean on Prospect Park Alliance if they have a question. But... Um, Thankfully enough, our horticulturalist, um, Joe Cherup, he has a lot of professional connections, like I do, to different arborists and, and horticultural people in the field. Um, mm -hmm. We have a lot of connections of just because of where we are to the Park Service, um, right. to City Parks and National Park Service. Mm -hmm. um, the, the forestry department's in here all the time. We were able to catch uh, oak wilt here, hmm. um, which was like great that we found it, but also terrible that it's here. But it's not spreading. You know, We're able to catch these things. So it doesn't spread to places like Prospect Park, right. which have way more visitors in and out. Um, mm -hmm. So I think we're very different from these places, and I would argue that we're a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> which is fair. And I think of New York as such a busy place. I mean, that's maybe the understatement yeah. of the century. But there's so much going on. There's so much development. There's so many different initiatives to get people in and to make space for people and make New York feel like an appealing place to spend time. I mean, as a child of the New York suburbs, mm -hmm. I assumed that every city was like New York and quickly realized that it's, it's not. It's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and there are other smaller, mid-sized cities that have maybe more green space or more mm -hmm. frequent opportunities mm -hmm. to pause. And I mean, is there any sense of urgency in terms of increasing spaces that are more geared towards people in New York, whether it be just in Brooklyn or in other What boroughs. I learned is that in the cemetery, there's no such thing as an emergency. I learned that because <laughs> I'm used to working on a construction schedule and I was like, we're not going to finish. And I was like, okay. Like, and that's okay. a good thing to learn. I take, try to take that to heart is that 
this is almost like a little bit of a bubble, but we are, we want people to, to know about us. We want people to like be a member of our historic fund. You know, we want people to, you know, they think of the High Line as something that's really great, you know, think of us in that same vein. Mm -hmm. um, I think because the more people that enjoy this place respectfully, the, the longer that it will be here. Um, in, in this type of, type of way, in this type of really, because this is also a really well cared for place um, and we have the capacity, because we're private, um, to maintain it, which is something that it's always back and forth. Um, so I think that's one of the benefits of being being private. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one kind of wrap-up question. Mm -hmm. Do you think... We talked a little bit about green burial. Mm -hmm. Is there any kind of restriction or any kind of criteria about how sure. people can be buried here? There, are, we have a lot of rules and regulations that we don't write. It's sort of like the cemetery board, or, or it's Albany um, that makes these laws. But I think I think it's only a matter of time until there's a lot of diverse options within burials. Right. Yeah. Which might tri maybe break some of the assumptions about what it means to be in a cemetery when you're alive and when you're not alive and how yeah. how this space kind of caters to different individuals and cultural ideas of, of death and yeah. dying and yeah it's a it's a weird place to work um <laughs> it's a wonderful place to work as a conservator it's a strange place to work as a woman there's a lot, very few women who work here yeah. um that's changing though um and it it just it feels like the right decision at the right time to like do this kind of work mm -hmm. um it's some place where you can see progress. You know, you can, things can, in restoration, things we always work from before and after. And if you're working on a huge project and it seems like you're like getting lost in the details, but here you can like clean a whole section and reset, reset like a whole bunch of stones in a day because they're just very tiny, some, mm -hmm. some of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels really good um, when you're it, able to, your list. to do that kind of physical work. Um, and I think, in, I think also talking about the, the field, you know, what it feels like to work in the design field or the architecture or something like that, um, that you find these elements of design and intent and art in all of these pl places where maybe you wouldn't try to find it. But it's like looking at these monuments, looking around, it's like whenever we find one that's been sunk for a long time, I often, I always wonder, like, who was the last person who touched this? Mm -hmm. It could have been the person's family. It could have been the person who reset the stone. It could have been the person who carved the stone. But it's a very limited number of people yeah. in all the thousands of people that roam around New York and Brooklyn or wherever. You know, to have that kind of limited contact with something still today is just astounding yeah. and important. It's wild. It's so crazy. It's just such a dynamic landscape for so many different reasons, and one that I really don't know that I would have ever stumbled upon if we weren't doing this. <laughs> <laughs> come back. Come back again. Yeah. You've only seen like 1% of it. Yeah. I know. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for more episodes on First Floor Corner Store.